I invite you to open your Bible now to that psalm, Psalm 65. To the chief musician, Psalm of David, a song. Praise is awaiting you, O God, in Zion, and to you the vow shall be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you all flesh will come, and equities prevail against me. As for our transgressions, you will provide atonement for them. Blessed is the man you choose and cause to approach you, that he may dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, of your holy temple. By awesome deeds and righteousness you will answer us, O God of our salvation, you who are the confidence of all the ends of the earth and of the far-off seas, who establish the mountains by his strength, being clothed with power, you who still the noise of the seas, the noise of their waves, and the tumult of the peoples. They also who dwell in the farthest parts are afraid of your signs. You make the outgoings of the morning and evening rejoice. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. You water its ridges abundantly. You settle its furrows. You make it soft with showers. You bless its growth. You crown the year with your goodness, that your paths drip with abundance. They drop on the pastures of the wilderness, and the little hills rejoice on every side. The pastures are clothed with flocks. The valleys also are covered with grain. They shout for joy. They also sing. So far the reading of God's holy word. Psalm 65 is called a Psalm of David. And certainly that is evident from the contents of this psalm. For you see, David had been a shepherd, raised in the home of a shepherd. In the early years of his life, he spent many hours caring for his father's flock. As he walked along the hillsides of Bethlehem and slept in the fields, he learned a great deal about God's creation. And his enjoyment of God's handiwork comes through in his poetry. In Psalm 19, David sang about how the glory of God is revealed to the sun, moon, and stars. In Psalm 8, David sang about the wonders of creation, proclaiming the excellence of God's name. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. As David studied creation, he was astounded by the majesty of the Creator, and it caused him to sing aloud. Well, Congregation Psalm 65 also reveals an obvious appreciation for the creation of God, as well as the preservation of creation. It is evident that it was written by someone who lived close to the land, someone who enjoyed the fields and was close to the soil. It was written by a man who realized how utterly dependent he was upon God for his daily bread. He knew that a bountiful harvest was due to his goodness. 
As our farmers are getting things ready to plant the crops for a new season, we also do well to remember that God is in control of all things. The food on our table is only by His providence. Even though some of us are not farmers, and perhaps some of us have little knowledge of agriculture, we all realize that we need the fruit of the land to survive. And as Christians, we confess that it is God who directs the planting, the growth, and the harvest. So this evening, I want us to briefly meditate on Psalm 65, which I have entitled, A Song of Grace and Providence. A Song of Grace and Providence. The psalm is composed of three stanzas. In verses 1 through 4, we confess that our God forgives. In verses 5 through 8, we confess that our God answers. And in verses 9 to 13, we confess that our God provides. First, our God forgives. David began with words of worship. Verse 1. Praise is awaiting you, O God, in Zion, and to you the vows shall be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you all flesh will come. David stated from the outset that the Lord God is worthy of praise. He is worthy of praise in Israel, and he is worthy of praise in all the earth. He is worthy of praise in Zion, verse 1, and he is worthy of praise by all flesh, verse 2. Zion was the place where God had chosen to dwell in a special way. In the Old Covenant, Zion, where the temple was built, was the appointed place of prayer and praise. But David does not limit praise to Jerusalem. Rather, he sees the need for all flesh, all men, to lift up their voices to God. He is not only the God of flesh and blood Israelites. He is the God who calls all peoples to praise Him. And He calls every type of person, man, woman, black, white, Jew, Gentile, slave and free. There, are no, there is no preference in His eyes. All people are equal before Him and all are equally called to praise Him. Verse 3 goes on to explain how this is possible. How can sinners come before a holy God? How can we pray and make vows in his presence? The prophet Isaiah said, Your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. If God is holy and righteous, which he is, then how can he receive the praises of those whose lips are defiled and whose lives are tarnished? The answer is found in verse 3. Iniquities prevail against me. As for our transgressions, you will provide atonement for them. You atone for our transgressions. David was well aware of his sin. He knew that it created a massive, impenetrable barrier between him and God. He knew that sin hinders prayers and dampens praise. We know both from the record of his life and from his psalms that David had moments when he felt practically crushed by the weight of his sin. He felt as though he was going to collapse. Do you ever experience moments like that? 
times when you feel overwhelmed by sin. I think most of us do. The agony over sin expressed by David in some of the Psalms is the agony that countless Christians experience in their daily walk. The pain of having failed again. The realization that we have grieved the Spirit. The awareness of our perverse mind, heart, tongue, and will. The understanding that we made decisions that were not in harmony with the will of God. Our pathetically weak love for the Savior. Sometimes the burden of sin feels very heavy, doesn't it? It feels as though it drives a deep wedge between us and God. Do you ever experience that? When you read Romans 3, do you say, that certainly describes me. I'm a miserable wretch. My throat is unclean. My tongue is deceitful. My lips are whole poison. My mouth is full of rottenness and my feet go where they shouldn't go. Congregation, even though David was well aware of his sin, he was assured in verse 3 that there is a way for sinners to be made right with God. There is good news. The gospel is this, verse 3. Have a look. As for our transgressions, you will provide atonement for them. David believed that God provided a covering for sin so that the relationship can be restored. The word that's translated there, atonement, in verse 3 actually means a covering. A covering. You recall in the Old Testament on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, the blood of the sacrifice was brought by the high priest into the most holy place where it was sprinkled on the mercy seat, that golden lid on the Ark of the Covenant. Under the mercy seat within the Ark was the law of God. When the blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat, it served as a covering. The blood covered the law which had been broken. It covered men's sin from the sight of God. The innocent victim died in place of those who were guilty. The Day of Atonement clearly portrayed what? The work of Jesus Christ. Ultimately, it is Christ who provides atonement for sin. It is His blood that covers our transgressions from the sight of God. David understood his need for Jesus Christ, his need for a covering. Do you understand that as well? God can only be rightly praised and worshipped when sins are forgiven, covered. The Lord can only accept the prayers of those who are accepted through the sacrifice. It is because God provides atonement and removes sin that fellowship is restored. Look what David says in verse 4. Go to verse 4. Blessed is the man you choose and cause to approach you, that he may dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, of your holy temple. You see, through the atonement, sinners may approach God and dwell in his courts. We may know the goodness of God's house, God's temple, and be satisfied. Verse 4 expresses the blessed state of those who are reconciled and pardoned. To dwell in his courts is to dwell in his presence. To dwell in his holy temple is to enjoy continual spiritual fellowship with God. 
Congregation David was not merely thinking about the visible sanctuary in Zion. He was describing the blessings of being part of his family, the privileges of being part of his household. Being part of the household and family of God brings satisfaction as nothing else does. David says in verse 4, we are filled, we are satisfied with the good things of your house. Some people never seem to be satisfied. They're restless, anxious, and unsettled. They experiment with one thing after another in an attempt to find happiness. But whatever they do, they're not satisfied. David knew that satisfaction can be found in the goodness of God's house, in the courts of the Lord. Fulfillment can be found through a relationship with the living God. That is the blessedness of those who are reconciled to God, those who know that atonement has been provided for their sin. Is that your confidence this evening? Is that your hope? Are you resting in the atoning work? Of Jesus. Then as we go on in verses 5 through 8, we see that because our God forgives, He also answers. Point number two. He also answers. Verses 5 through 8 emphasize the power of God who is able to respond to the prayers of His people. Let's go to verses 5 through 8. Please follow along. 5 through 8. By awesome deeds in righteousness, you will answer us. O God of our salvation, you are the confidence of all the ends of the earth and of the far-off seas, who established the mountains by his strength, being clothed with power. You who still the noise of the seas, the noise of their waves, and the tumult of the peoples. Verse 8, they also who dwell in the farthest parts are afraid of your signs. You make the outgoings of the morning and evening rejoice. You see, David confessed that God has the power to hear and answer the prayers of his people. These verses declare the great works of God which are intended to instill awe in our hearts. The Lord formed the great mountains by his strength, verse 6. They did not appear on their own. No, they were established by the remarkable power of God. Moreover, The turbulent ways of the seas, verse 7, are also directed and controlled by him. He makes the waters roar, and he calms them again. He makes the waters rise, and he brings them down again. And in addition to this, the psalmist also asserts that the Lord is able to still the tumult of the peoples, or the turmoil of the nations, end of verse 7. All the nations of the earth are under his direction and respond to his command. When there is rest among the nations, it is because the Lord has so ordained it. Now, congregation, this God, who formed the mountains, who calms the mighty waves of the sea, and who stills the tumult of the nations, this omnipotent God hears the prayers and the praises of his people and answers them. Go back to verse 5. David says, By awesome deeds in righteousness, you will answer us. You will answer us. 
Brothers and sisters, when we join our voices to God in prayer, we have numerous reminders all around us that He is present and He is powerful. Everything in creation reveals His power. The mountains, the lakes, the rivers, the trees, the clouds, the valleys, the animals, all of creation declares His omnipotence. When we observe the marvels of creation, we should be strengthened in our faith and encouraged to approach our God in prayer and praise. Wherever we look, wherever we go, we see the obvious evidence of God's omnipotence. All these things should give us confidence as we approach the throne of grace. We do not call upon a weak, helpless, puny, scrawny, fragile, pathetic God. We call upon the mighty creator and preserver of the universe. The one who established the mountains, calms the seas, and stills the nations is the God who hears your petitions. David said, you can have confidence in him. He is able to hear, and he has the power to respond. Well, then we come to the final portion of this psalm, verses 9 to 13 in which David especially emphasized the provision of God for his people. Our God forgives, our God answers, and our God provides. Our God provides. We're reminded in this last stanza that without God's blessing, our labor does not profit. The first thing that David calls our attention to is that God cares for the land by watering it. Seems obvious, right, to a believer, that is. God cares for the land by watering it. That's the point of verses 9 and 10. Have a look. Verses 9 and 10. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. Verse 10. You water its ridges abundantly. You settle its furrows. You make it soft with showers. You bless its growth. Now, here in Canada, we live in a land that is generally well-watered. We've had some dry summers from time to time, but overall, we are blessed with sufficient rainfall. So to really appreciate the words of verses 9 and 10, you need to understand that there were times in Palestine when the land could be extremely dry. In the ancient world, rain at the proper time could make the difference between life and death. They knew and appreciated the value of water. Sometimes when they heard the sound of rain, it was like music to their ears. For rain upon the earth was the blessing of life. The congregation, David, knew that the rains did not come by chance. Verse 9 says, you visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. Verse 10, you water its ridges. You make it soft with showers. God is depicted here, you might say, as a gardener. As a gardener gives attention to his garden, watering it as necessary, giving attention to the needs of the garden. So the Lord gives attention to the earth and waters it as he sees fit. In our modern world, we're able to explain from a scientific point of view what needs to happen for the rains to fall. We study the clouds, the wind, the air pressure, and so on. The children learn in school that water evaporates, 
It collects in the clouds, it gets heavy, and it's released down to the ground again. But who guides the process and makes sure that it continues? When all is said and done, as Christians, we know that the cause of the rain is precisely as David expressed it. God visits the earth and waters it. We can explain it to some degree in scientific terms, but the bottom line is simple. The showers that water the land come from Him. One memorable illustration of God's power over the rain is seen in the life of Elijah. You remember that story? Well, I'm sure because of the apostasy of Ahab, God withheld the rain for three and a half years. The land suffered a severe, terrible drought. Then Elijah prayed that God would restore the rain, and he sent a heavy shower upon the land. The rain was withheld by God, and the rain was released by God. David understood that the Lord was in direct control. He not only controlled the rain, but he also controlled the crops. Verse 9b says, you provide their grain. Verse 10, you bless its growth. Verse 11, you crown the year with your goodness. And verse 13 indicates that the valleys are covered with grain because of the providential care of God. Now, David was well aware of the fact that farmers must work the land, fertilize the soil, plant the seed, pull out the weeds and thistles, and do all that is necessary to care for the crop. It required a, hard, a lot of hard work and sweat. Included in the curse in Genesis 3 is that in the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Growing a crop can be difficult work. But when the harvest is finally gathered... The barns filled with grain, we can only say it is a gracious gift of God, the result of His kind providential care. He made the soil fertile. He composed the elements in the soil. He designed the seeds so that they would respond and grow in such an amazing way. Ultimately, the success of the crop is not due to the farmer's labor, skill, or excellent methods. All these things are good to be sure. But the final success is entirely by the mercy of God. Brothers and sisters, when we pray the fourth petition, give us this day our daily bread, we're not speaking meaningless words. We are saying that all our hard work cannot provide what is needful for the body. Our daily provision comes from God. When all our needs are met, we tend to take credit for what we have. We need to be reminded again and again and again that even the hardest working individual owes all that he has to God's kind providence. The valleys are covered with grain. We sing praise to the Lord of creation. When the year is crowned with God's goodness, we give thanks to Him. When the meadows are covered with flocks, we rejoice in His care. Notice how David says in the last line of this psalm that even the pastures, the hills, and the valleys shout for joy and sing. You see that there? 
As the plentiful crop covers the land, as the flocks skip about in the pasture, as the golden grain blows in the wind, as the corn ripens in the sun, they all seem to shout for joy, to give glory and praise to God. Now, congregation, of course, pastures, hills, valleys, and sheep do not literally sing and shout for joy. Inanimate objects cannot literally lift up their voices in thanksgiving and praise to God. But you, who are made in God's image, made in His likeness, you have the ability to sing and shout for joy. Therefore, this psalm calls us to respond to God's works of providence in praise and thanksgiving. We pray that God will provide our daily bread. We pray that God will bless our crops. We pray that God will provide a harvest. We pray that God will supply our needs. But then, we also need to praise Him for His providential care. Give Him the honor of which He is worthy. Be thankful for His mercies to us. Dear friends, the valleys, hills, and pastures cannot literally shout and sing to the glory of God, but you can. Then do it. Do it. Do so in words, in prayer, and in song. Shout for joy because of the providential care of your God. David began this psalm by saying, Praise is awaiting you, O God, in Zion. Praise is awaiting you, O God, in Zion. Praise Him for His grace. Praise Him that He provides atonement for sin through His Son, Jesus Christ. Praise Him for the cross. Praise Him that you may be satisfied with the goodness of His house. Praise Him for His mighty power. And praise Him for your daily provision, which should point us to His eternal provision. In Psalm 65, David stood amazed as he contemplated God's grace and providence. Are you also amazed? Are you also amazed? May each one of you here this evening stand in awe of the greatness of your God. He provides for body and soul, for today and tomorrow, for time and eternity. Is this your God, your Savior, your Heavenly Father? Then sing for joy, sing of the goodness of the Lord.